NFL Show, part of the Mojo Sports Network. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Mojo Sports AFL Podcast. My name is Nathan Jennings, and I'm your host tonight. And as always, I am joined by Ash. Ash, how are you going? Pretty good. Uh, good time to be a Carlton supporter. A few wins on the trot, and uh, yeah, nice round of footy to dissect. Yes, very much agreed. Round 17 was an absolute corker, and we will get into Carlton and your thoughts very soon, Ash. But straight off the top, we are going to talk about the biggest uh, topic we've had in a number of weeks, I think probably since Damien Harwick stepped down. Uh, Stuart Dew has been sacked as the coach of the Gold Coast Suns, effective immediately. There was a press conference held this morning, and their chairman of the board came out and said that they are moving on Stuart Dew immediately with uh, interim coach Stephen King to take over for the rest of the season while they find a, a replacement full-time coach for the Gold Coast Suns. So, you know, Stewie Jew, he's been the coach there now for seasons, uh, was given a contract extension uh, last year, which saw him through to the end of 2025. Unfortunately, that won't be seen through. He's had a bit of a rough, um, you know, time of it at the Gold Coast. He sort of came into the club a tricky time when he was pretty much starting a rebuild. A club was in, you know, financially a, a poor spot from a from a salary cap perspective. He's gone through the whole COVID situation, and you know, I think his record speaks volumes: thirty six wins, a draw, and eighty four losses, a win percentage of thirty percent. That's not going to get it done, you know, not just in the AFL, but from professional sports uh, in general, I guess. So. Probably we'll start off, Ash, just with general thoughts around the decision because there's been a lot of mixed messages coming out of the club over the last couple of weeks in regards to uh, Stewie's, you know, security within his role, I guess. Yeah. Um, to me, I think it's the right decision. I don't think you can sort of sit here and be serious and say that he wasn't given a fair shot, Stewie Jew. Um, I thought six years was more than enough. And in all honesty, I don't think you can sit here and – and say, is Stewie Jew uh, the coach that's going to take Gold Coast into finals or, or deep into finals, rather? And certainly not, I don't see him as their next premiership coach. So I think at some point you have to cut your losses and, and just admit that he's not the right guy. And I think ever since sort of Damien Hardwick uh, stepped aside, the links have sort of been there straight away. Um, I always find it funny um, when you sort of see the, the president or the CEO or so, whoever it is on the on the board, some sort of high person up there at the club, say that you know they've got the full support of the board and and all the players love him and everything like that, and to be sacked a week later. But um, I agree with um, I think it was Guy McKenna said earlier today, the ex coach of Gold Coast, that not only if you're going to sack Stewie Jew, you also have to part ways with the people that were in charge of giving him a contract extension. And I fully agree with that. And I think it would be a disservice uh, to the club and Stewie Jew if he was the only person to be sacked after this whole situation. I think their list management as well for the number of years has been appalling to say the least. So I think a lot of hard calls need to be made. And uh, I'd hate to see Stewie Jew as a scapegoat and be the only one who's sort of um, is sacked from the situation because the whole club needs a, a, a big sort of shaker on and off the field. It's a really interesting point you mentioned earlier as well. I'll just roll back a bit there where you mentioned about 
Damien Hardwick obviously stepping aside um, as the coach of Richmond. And I think immediately around the AFL landscape, it was, the pressure around Stewie Jew lifted immensely because the second the coach of that stature becomes available, it doesn't matter how long your contract is or how well your team's going. You're going to come under some sort of scrutiny, I guess. But the one question I do want to put back, and I guess it does frustrate me a fair bit, you know, across this football, but the sporting landscape when, as you sort of said last week, you know, the CEO of Gold Coast Suns came in and unequivocally said, you know, we are backing in Stewie Jew. He's going to see out his contract. Um, he's the guy to lead us forward. That frustrates me because, you know, as a fan, as a, you know, a supporter of, you know, AFL in general, I want transparency, and that's not that. Now, I also find it interesting that then the, the, uh, the chairman of the board has come back from overseas and made the decision off the back of one poor performance on the weekend against Port Adelaide. Where, where's your head out with that sort of stuff, Ash? Because for me, it's quite frustrating. Um, to me, I think if it wasn't after the weekend against Port, then it could have been against Collingwood the week before, and who knows what sort of poor performance they'll have the week after. So... If that's what you're sort of referring to as as in sort of after the game against Sport compared to some other time, I think that they've had poor performances for not only for a number of weeks and season, for a number of years. So I don't really see the timing of it sort of it's too much of an issue, if that's what you're referring to. Yeah, and I think it, it, it is. I think, you know, the timing is, you know, is fair. It's probably more so the fact they've come out recently and said so they back him in as the coach um, and then it's done a back tip on that, you know, on the back of one result, I guess. You know, as you sort of said, it's a body of work for Stewie Jew. But I guess then, and this is the cruel thing with sport, but, you know, I guess there is a, you know, a fun element to it as well where we get then start speculating around, you know, who will fill the shoes, um, you know, on a full-time basis. Stephen King, assistant coach there, will take the reins for the remaining seven rounds. Um, you know, all the talks been around Damien Hardwick and, you know, is this the, the, the role that he will step into? And I think probably a big kick in the box that it could potentially be Damien Hardwick is the fact that, you know, the Gold Coast Suns is effectively owned and run and, you know, decisions are put through the AFL. Um, and I think for a franchise that is, you know, what, 10 to 12 years old now and hasn't had success the AFL's hope, unlike GWS, um, that they need a... They need a big name there. They had Barry Abler, you know, from a playing perspective. But I think it's now time that they get an established, you know, big name coach in there. So, you know, Ash, where's your sort of head at, you know, quite soon after this decision around where the Gold Coast should or will go from a coaching perspective? Um, yeah, I think just like with Alistair Clarkson last year and the year before, I'd be very surprised if, you know, a big name like that isn't straight away linked to, to Gold Coast or, or a struggling team, an expansion team like them. So I think it's a no-brainer. Um, I'm sure the AFL will have their little business sort of under the table, chuck a few extra dollars here and there, lure him in, hey, nice, fun family location for the Hardwick family to, to relocate to. But, uh, yeah, look, it's a no-brainer. I think we're going to see it sooner rather than later. And I'd, I think it's almost at a point where I'd be surprised if Hardwick wasn't at Gold Coast next year. 
Yeah, look, you're spot on. I think that's consensus. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, best wishes go to Stuart, you and his family. It's a tough time when any coach loses their job, especially someone in the situation that he's been in for the last six seasons. But moving on from that, and we'll sort of do now a bit of a run around for round 17. And I sort of want to break it up into some different categories tonight. And First of all, we're going, to, we're going to go to bright spots, you know, really put a positive spin on this podcast and to start with. And I'm going to start talking about Essendon as my first bright spot from round 17. Massive clash Sunday afternoon under the lid at Marvel against the Adelaide Crows and winner takes fifth was the, was the little tagline going into that and really cementing their place as a, you know, looking like playing finals. And for both clubs, a lot on the line. And Essendon won that game in the first half, kicking 12 goals, and looking at times unstoppable from their transition defence, winning the ball at the source. Um, I guess my question to you, Ash, is we'll look at their run home in a second, but at nine and seven with seven rounds to go, 13 wins normally is what it will take. Where are you sitting with Essen with what you've seen over the last month and what you saw from on the weekend, I guess? Yeah, really promising stuff. And I don't think many people would have expected after Brett, uh, not Brett Rudden, uh, Ben Rudden was sacked uh, last year that under Brad Scott, they'd have such a big jump in uh, under a year. Whether that means that they make finals or not, look, it's certainly the most likely scenario. But I think it probably is too early to lock anything in at this stage. They are only sitting fifth at this stage and still only one game out from 10th. So only four points difference between fifth and 10th, which is, which is massive. So who knows? Um, that being said, uh, as you mentioned, Nathan, the run home for Essendon is pretty much as easy as it gets, excluding this week at GMHBO Stadium. But after that, look, you'd be surprised if they don't win, you know, a good four or five-plus games from here. You're right. They've got a few cycles in there. They've got Sydney at Marvel. They've got West Coast at Marvel. And they've got North Melbourne at Marvel. So you'd probably mark those three down. And then it's only probably likely one win out of their other four games. So Essendon are in a good spot. But the one player I want to sort of focus on, and he was 100% the catalyst um, on Sunday, and probably not spoken about, you know, uh, I guess alongside the other captains in the AFL, Zach Merritt. Now, we talk a lot about Darcy Moore and, you know, uh, Jordan Dawson and Marcus Bottom Kelly is really being some of the best captains in uh, get on my back, follow me sort of players. But Zach Merritt's form over a long period of time, I, I think at times goes unnoticed. And you know, his ability to put his head over the ball, really buy into this Brad Scott sort of, you know, a game plan that he's implemented um, and, and continue to be a, a clearance. Um, you know, King, I guess, who really willed them to uh, to victory on the weekend. Now, whether he's an All-Australian or not, I, I don't know. There's a lot of great news sort of, but talk to me about what you think, you, how you see his impact on this Essendon team, both as a captain, but also from like what he's doing from the player output as well. I think it's um, pretty inspirational. And I don't think always um, plays such as merit, you know, your big bodied inside mids always get a lot of credit because they're not kicking goals. They're not taking, you know, a million intercept marks. And, and like you mentioned, it's putting the head over the footy, winning the hard ball, dishing it out to your outside runners, and then, you know, linking up with those scoring chains. And I think what Merritt is able to do from bouncing back after a pretty uh, somewhat disappointing part of his career a few uh, years ago to how he's bounced back now, uh, it's inspirational. I'm not sure exactly, as you mentioned, if he'll make all Australian or win the brand low, but he's certainly become one of the best midfielders in the comp. 
Yeah, agreed. And I think, you know, over the next seven weeks, this is this is really big for Essendon as a club, you know. They haven't won a final in, you know, God knows how long. I think the stat's getting quite ridiculous with the crowd they're on. So I think from a club perspective and an AFL perspective, it's good to sort of see those big dominant teams be back, you know, toward the top again. So, and talking about big dominant teams of the past, uh, we're going to talk about Ashes Blue Baggers. They're on a, a three-game win streak now, which, um, look, they haven't beaten the most impressive teams in that three-game stretch. I, I think from where they have come from and, you know, losing what, seven of eight, I think it was there a stretch and um, where they were as a club and, you know, how dark it did get to the point now where, again, we're not going to say they're making finals because that's definitely not the case, but they put themselves back into contention, but more so they're playing style of football that we all expected from them, which I think from a general observer's perspective is a really positive sign because, you know, Carlton has one of those lists that, you know, is quite talented and they're sort of now in the last three-game stretch living up to expectations. So, you know, look, they're one game outside of the eight, Ash, and, you know, you said quite a lot about them. What's sort of spurred this little three-game run and what do you see that's different to, you know, the, pre- the start of the season, I guess, the pre-buy Carlton? I'm sorry, did you say certainly not the case with making finals? Mate, look, is you know, the lid, is still, the lid is still on. That's all I'm going to say. The lid is not off yet on the, the bag is making finals. Look, I'll, I'll take that as a little bit of bait. I reckon you're just fishing, fishing there. I don't know about you, but the lid is certainly off. The, the lid is off. I don't know how it is to opposition fans. The lid is off. And um, to me, it's, uh, it's pretty incredible. Where, where was this in the first half of the year? I'll tell you where it was. I uh, hacked into uh, the uh, AFL house servers, uh, took a look at the script. It's all pre-written, and it said, you know, <laughs> Carlton, they pull the ultimate Uno reverse. They lose a bunch of games, seven from eight. Everyone thinks they're not making finals. Bam, here they go, 11-game winning streak or whatever it's going to end up to be undefeated will be, including Port this week. And I'll tell you what, it's uh, it's uh, it's crazy. They've they've done it just to sort of humiliate Carlton supporters, to riddle them with emotion, only to leave it to the last minute. And of course, it's written in the, in the stars. Come on, you have to make it from here. Uh, but yeah, it, it's um, it's crazy to me. Just where was this at the at the start of the year? Just the way that we were looking to move the ball and take the game on and be proactive rather than reactive, you know, play on from marks, look for those handball receives, take on those inside 45 kicks through the corridor, use that speed in the run. It's, uh, it's incredible. I feel like we've won the flag despite only beating 13th, 15th and 17th or whatever it is. Um, yeah. It's uh, a lot of credit has to go to the boys. Um, the last two games without a Ruckman playing against Jackson and, and, and Darcy losing the hit out 70 to 18, yet winning the clearances and, and smashing and contested possessions. And then you have a bunch of role players like, you know, David Cunningham, Lockie Fogarty, um, even, you know, Alex Chincotta, Jordan Boyd, a lot of guys who hardly any people would have ever heard of or, or paid much attention to, but, 
really pulling their weight. And yeah, it's a look, I don't want to get too over the top. I don't want to say it's a great time to be a calm supporter, but you certainly feel like this could be the start of something. And look, earlier on in the year, it was all full of doom and gloom, but I never, I never lost hope. I always said that the best teams time their run at the right time, they don't peak too early. And look, what did you say? It was a game out of the eight, some, something like that. So, so, so that, and that's the interesting thing is that they're a game and percentage out of the eight. So Geelong are currently eighth, um, and both of them have, have had the advice. They're exactly a game out of the eight plus percentage. I guess the reason why I'm saying the Leeds Geelong is, as you mentioned before, they've beaten what Gold Coast, Hawthorne, and Fremantle. So they're all teams that aren't going to make the eight. Um, I think their next their next month will. To, to determine whether the lid's off or not. So they, they host Port Adelaide, who's, uh, you know, they are the, the most informed team in the league, 13 games in a row. They then have West Coast, which will be a win, followed by Collingwood at the G and then St Kilda at Marvel. I, I truly believe that if Carlton can go three out of four, so assuming they probably drop a game to either Collingwood or Port Adelaide, which is totally understandable, then I think, you know, with, with your last three games being Melbourne, Gold Coast and GWS, you have a you know a very good reason to blow the lids off, but for me, again, I'm not shitting on your parade here because I think from the turnaround is exciting, but until they do beat a team that is you know a contender, then the lid stays on for me. It, it is still mathematically possible for us to finish first on the ladder, and it is still actually mathematically possible for West Coast to make finals. So never say never. <laughs> Fight until the end. And uh, watch, good things are good things are going to happen. I feel it. All right, Ash, that's more than enough Carlton positivity. We're going to jump now into concerns, and I, we flagged two teams tonight to talk about. The first one uh, being Fremantle. Now, I've quite strongly spoken about Fremantle all year. I've given them praise uh, when they have played well, which has been uh, patches throughout this year, but then I've also been quite critical on them when they haven't performed and you know, coming off the bye, there was a lot of promise with where Fremantle were at um, and their run home. And unfortunately, they have very much so face-planted, um, which then resulted in a third, oh, sorry, a 60-point loss to Carlton on the weekend. First thing that I want to ask you, Ash, is in your sort of opinion, you would have watched the game on the weekend as well, where did it go wrong for Fremantle, um, I guess? Hard to know exactly where they went wrong. Um, and, and I think seeing last year, and a lot of people probably wouldn't maybe expect them to make finals. Some may have said they sort of peaked too early, whatever it may have been. I think that, look, they obviously have some issues, but I don't think it's all doom and gloom for them. I think they still have a talented list. Um, look, I, I'm, I'm not even sure, to be honest, where it's all gone wrong for them, but I, I think there are still... Positive signs. I haven't lost hope on them. I don't think they'll make finals, obviously, this year. But um, mm. I'm very, very bullish of uh, where they're at. Um, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm not too sure exactly what to say. I don't think they should sack. I think the I think the hard thing with Fremantle is is they 100 overachieved last year. No one probably expected them to do what they did, winning a final, going down to Collingwood in the semi. Um, this year now they are severely underachieving through natural progression of a you know 
reasonably young group you'd expect, you know, improvement. Now, whether that's still, you know, finishing that fifth or sixth position, um, well, that's still improvement. I think the reason why it's improvement is you look at the players that walk out the door. David Mundy through retirement, you know, Darcy Tucker, Griffin Lowe, Rory Lobb, um, with Blake Akers as well. You know, he left to go to Carlton. Uh, there's probably others I'm forgetting as well. And they didn't replace that. Sorry, no, they have replaced it, but they've replaced them with youth. You know, Matt Johnson, Neil Erasmus, Jai Amos. These are the sorts of players that are expecting to come in and, and perform, I guess. Now, that's unrealistic. Take out senior players and replace them with, you know, uh, rookies and inexperienced and expect them to perform at the same level. Now, over here in WA, there's been a lot of chat around whether or not Justin Longmuir's job is in trouble. Now, I I will pose this question to you, as, um, Ash, but I will pose it to you this way. I don't think Justin Longmuir is the right man for the job, and it's not the fact that it's because Fremantle are underperforming. I don't believe he has the right temperament to be a head coach. Now, you look at all the head coaches in the league at the moment, and they have that switch where – when they get angry, they get angry and there's steam coming out of their ears. You look at, like, you know, a Michael Voss or even a Craig McRae we've seen at times as well where they will blow up and lose it. I just don't feel like Justin Longmuir has that sort of a temperament to be a head coach in the AFL. And ultimately, this is why I, I said earlier years that I don't think he lasts as head coach through this season. What are your thoughts? It's a really interesting point you brought up. I've never sort of thought about it like that. And, uh, I, yeah, I, I do think that I agree. Um, that's also part of the reason I don't think David Teague and the Carlton would have lasted very long um, for, for a very similar reason. He never sort of had that switch to, uh, you know, when shit was hitting the fan, so, so to say, to, um, you know, really buckle down. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I haven't thought about it like that. So it's going to be really interesting to see so whether that call is made this year, I, I doubt it does happen this year. Or, um, yeah, next year potentially. It's uh, very interesting you brought up. Yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a watch, this, watch this space with Fran Mantle. You know, I think a lot of it will depend on how they end the season, but I think it's a watch this space. So um, the other team that I want to talk about from a concerning perspective, and I can understand why they've been given a, par- a pass this year as such. Last year's runners up in Sydney. Now, just bear with me on this one. I want to read through a few numbers first of all. So Sydney are currently sitting at six in the draw and nine losses. At this time last year, they had 11 wins at this point in the season. Um, their wins have come across and come against Gold Coast, Hawthorne, Richmond, North Melbourne, Carlton and West Coast. So we can see a trend there. Um, and then they've also had some interesting loss results as well. So they've had two blowout results, 93 points against Geelong and 50 points against Melbourne. And then two uh, tight home, um, home losses, one to Port Adelaide where they sort of got run over in the fourth. The same with GWS, they lost by a point, got run over in the fourth. Now, look, I understand they've sort of been ravaged a fair bit by injury this year. But are, are we letting them off the hook too easily? Because I think there's a keeping your head above water when you're struggling with injuries. And there's what Sydney are showing us, not just over the last couple of weeks, but throughout this season with their soft kills. Um, and the inability to sort of be competitive, I guess, against, you know, the really good teams that are contending. I agree, um, but I also disagree, mainly from a point that I think 
I was probably expecting this in a way. Um, and no one really knows exactly why it happens. But, you know, I think, you know, we've all mentioned it before, statistically teams that get thrashed in grand finals or prelims or whatever it may be have a really bad year out of the following season. So, you know, whether that's from a, a confidence issue, whether that's more of a, complaints, a complacency issue, complacent, yeah, complacency issue, um, no, no one really knows why, or at least I don't, and that's why I'm not coaching an AFL club. But I think in a way I was expecting this, and I don't think it's sort of letting them off too easy. I think in a case like Sydney, you have to be very careful that you don't make rash decisions because in a time like this when you're bouncing back from a, a tough loss in the grand final, the most important thing is you want stability. I think you want stability on the field, off the field, with the playing list, with the coaching group. It's fine to have you know little tweaks, but I wouldn't be making any drastic decisions. I don't know exactly where it's gone wrong with them, but I think it's more of a case of come back to you know recess the situation next year, or at least at the bye next year at the end of the season. See where they're at from there. They have a very exciting young group of players. I have no doubt that they're going to bounce back. I don't think that they're in any sort of major troubles at the moment compared to some other clubs like Freo, for example, like Gold Coast. Um, but, it, but it's really interesting what, why this sort of stuff happens and, and, and where it went wrong with Sydney this year. I think the biggest thing, and I, I did do a little bit of digging today around, and the two of the biggest things that Sydney has struggling in this year are clearances and contested possessions. And as we've sort of spoken about, they're the key themes around, you know, success, I guess, in the AFL in 2023. And I get, you look at their midfield, Parker Mills, Mills has been injured a fair bit this year, Roy Bottom, Papley sort of goes in there and pitch hits every now and then, Warner and Golden. I guess when I read out those names, the biggest thing that they're missing is a big body midfield. Now, you look at the, the the top teams at clearance and contested possession, and they have at least one of those, you know, like a Marcus Bond and Kelly type, right? They obviously lost Josh Kennedy last year. He was struggling with injuries at the back end of his career, but he retired it last year. The one thing that I do find quite interesting, though, is that the player they're seeking in the past two seasons, they've traded away. So season before last, George Hewitt-Palton, who is, is that sort of bigger-bodied midfielder, and then last off-season, uh, sorry, no, two off-seasons ago now, my, my apologies, is uh, Jordan Dawson to the Crows, who, again, is sort of playing that big-bodied midfielder. Uh, whether it's a case of, you know, their young kids shaking off the demons of the grand final loss last year, developing, you know, learned experiences, those sorts of things, or whether Sydney does need that big-bodied midfielder in there sort of dominant. They didn't have that as such last year. I guess their game was a lot more well-rounded with a more functioning forward line, a more functioning back line, and they weren't as injury-prone last year. Um, Ash, if we go back to that midfield I mentioned before, does it stack up or do you feel like it is missing something? No, I agree. It's another, another good point you brought up there. And it's funny considering sort of the names that they've traded out and names that they're sort of rumoured to sort of be interested in this year, you know, Himmelberg, De Koning, no sort of big-bodied inside mids there. Um, there was no real Josh Kennedy replacement. And I don't think that any of the names you mentioned, you know, Goulden, Warner, Robottom, uh, really are, are the type that are going to fix their issues there in the guts. So 
I'm not too sure whether they potentially chase someone like Darcy Parrish, um, who Essen probably can afford to to let go of. Um, but I'll certainly be, you know, investing more heavily in the midfield. And uh, yeah, what a shame got rid of Dawson and Hewitt, and they'll be perfect right now. You're right. And I guess from a Sydney perspective, it sucks because both Hewitt and Dawson are now thriving um, at their respective clubs. Now, I want to move into a third topic um, from the weekend's games and looking forward as well. And I've sort of, I've called it lurkers. Now, I've identified, we've, sorry, we've identified rather two teams that we believe are just sort of lurking. They're under the surface. You know, they aren't getting a lot of attention at the moment. The first one has to be Geelong. They're, they're like this shark that's just under the water. They're just sort of lurking around. They're waiting for the right time to strike. Now, whether that actually happens or not remains to be seen, but it just feels like, you know, this massive giant, we're just waiting for them to burst onto the scene. They've been hitting us all year, um, and we're just waiting. Now, again, DeLong, eight wins, a draw, seven losses. Last year's premiers, they haven't lived up to their expectations of that. We saw, uh, before I ask a question, Ash, DeLong's team on the weekend had Jess Cameron, Colin Jasney, Isaac Smith, Jed Buse, and Cam Guthrie all out, managed injury, concussion, etc. plus Sam Simpson, who is probably a fringe best 23 player, out as well. I guess my question is, with that being said, um, and what we saw from them on the weekend, are they sort of priming as such for a late push to really be a strong premiership contender? Or... You know, are we just holding on to hope until someone beats the reigning premiers? Oh, I think so. Um, a, a lot of talent on that list. That home ground advantage at GMHBA is another thing. And you sort of mentioned it sort of uh, in, in the chat, Nathan, that out of all the teams that potentially may not finish in the top four but still make finals, they're probably the ones that are the most dangerous to, to winning the premiership. So... I feel like they're every year sort of around the mark. Everyone sort of underrates them, too old, too slow. But each sort of off-season, they seem to regenerate some, some new young talent, um, keep the list sort of growing, and I think they're definitely a lurker, and I think they're definitely going to slip into the top eight and cause some damage in the uh, back end of the year and in finals. I think probably the biggest upside for DeLong right now is with seven games remaining, Four of them are down in GMHBA. Uh, They've then got a difficult road trip to uh, – no, sorry, they've got uh, – where am I looking? Sorry. Uh, yeah, sorry, a difficult road trip against Brisbane, uh, Collingwood at the G, um, and St Kilda. So they're their three games away from Marvel, away from GMHBA. You'd assume they probably win their four games down there, and then one of those three is enough for them to get into finals. Tell you what, if I am someone that finishes seventh or eighth and has to play DeLong in the first round, I, w- I wouldn't be happy. And then probably secondary to that is if you finished third or fourth and likely lost a qualifying final and had to play them in a week, I wouldn't be happy. Now, it hasn't happened since 2016 that uh, a team from outside the top four, the last time that was uh, the Western Bulldogs who beat Sydney in the grand final, went on a bit of a Cinderella run. Now, Geelong did this last year. They went on, what, a 16-game tear to finish the season, accumulating in a, uh, a grand final victory. Do you think they are capable with all their players back? So Jezza Cameron, Isaac Smith and Kim Guthrie, who's probably going to be back later in the season, 
or are there just teams that are better than men at the moment? Uh, I think you can never discount Geelong. I think they've got a great percentage as well. Um, I'm, I'm very bullish on them. They're, they're one team that you can just never sort of – you've always got to keep them in the back of your mind because you always know they're going to be thereabouts. You always know that they're going to be, you know, with that experience on their list and big games and big moments and big finals, they're always going to put up a fight. And I reckon uh, once again, we're going to see them, you know, probably make a, a semi or a prelim or whatever it may be. Yeah. Again, if my team has to come up against them in September, I would not be happy. Now, the second team that I want to talk about from a lurking perspective is Brisbane. Now, they've sort of gone under the radar a little bit over the last month. They had a pretty bad loss to Hawthorne at the MCG after they came off their bye. Ever since, they've gone on to have victories against Sydney, St Kilda, uh, Richmond and uh, West Coast as well. So, you know, they've beaten some reasonable teams in there as well. They look like they're going to be penciled in for third place. Another team for me that's quite interesting with their lineup at the moment. Now, from the weekend's team, Zorko came back. He was sort of load managed. He only played about half a game or so. Daniel Rich played in the twos. Dunkley to return at some stage from a calf injury. Calamarchi, Jared Berry, and Lincoln Carthy, who you'd all assume are S22 players are still yet to come in. Are we sleeping on Brisbane or is it the Brisbane of old where, you know, they sort of, you know, win the games they need to through the regular season, catch up teams with the Gabber and then pass down in September? Or is this still different? Um, I think um, that MCG curse is, is more sort of prevalent compared to some of those other factors. It's crazy to me to think that a team has such a bad winning streak at a particular ground, which almost gives me deja vu from Carlton having their terrible winning streak at Adelaide Oval, which I don't think we've even won a game there at all. So I, I think it's – you can never be uh, counted as a, a genuine premiership contender if you cannot win your games at the MCG, and that's the one place um, there. I'm confident, though, that Brisbane – that gabatoire, as they call it, is, um, you know, just like Geelong at GMHBA Stadium, it, it's uh, crazy what you can get up to there if you're Brisbane. Uh, I feel like I'm waffling at the moment. Uh, yeah, I like Brisbane. I think they're easily top four locks. It, it, it's really interesting, though. We, we talked about the MCG curse. It's real. You know, it's there. But I guess the really perplexing thing about it, though, is that so? I read a stat today that since Lockie Kindle joined the club, they've played nine games at the G and they're one and eight. Yet that one game that they won was last year's semi final against Melbourne, which sort of came out of nowhere. We obviously know that, you know, the back end of last year, Melbourne was on a pretty severe decline, which resulted in going down straight sets in the finals. But I, I guess, you know, they've got the biggest lip test this, this Friday night. Melbourne, Friday night. MCG, you know, that's, I think, where we'll see their credentials. But there's also a world where Brisbane can host a prelim final. Now, you look at the ladder now, it's more than likely they probably played Port Adelaide in, in uh, Adelaide week one of the finals. There's no reason why they can't win that. Um, with that all being said, though, they've obviously got a little bit youth-heavy over the last couple of weeks, you know, getting some games in the young kids. One player specifically that hasn't yet come back is Daniel Rich. 
Do you see a role or a place in their best 23 come September 4, Kim? Or is this sort of youth movement they've gone through in the last month or so probably here to stay? Um, I think Daniel Rich is one of those players that despite his age, he's still one of the best kicks in the competition. So I think it's almost um, a, a disadvantage if you, if you don't play him. Uh, despite his legs not, you know, taking over as as well as they used to, and that speed factor has obviously got to him as he, you know, is approaching, you know, his uh, middle thirties. Um, but yeah, I think Daniel Rich is one play. He can potentially take the spot of um, someone like Connor McKenna, who has probably, you know, not exactly solidified a spot there. Darcy Wilmot's a, a young kid we can potentially take his spot. So I think there's definitely room for him in that 22. And I think he's definitely someone just like Jack Gunston slowly made his way back into the senior side. I'm sure we'll be seeing Daniel Reef sort of in a similar position in the next few weeks. Yeah, great. I think the asset of the left foot that he does possess is, you know, something that is quite valuable from a finals perspective. So, look, you know, they've got a big test on Friday night. So I think we'll really get a, a good sense of Brisbane's credentials on Friday night. Now, we are going to turn our attention to AFL fantasy. Now, we've said for weeks that we're not getting a hat, we're not winning a car, but I'm not sure about you, Ash, but I am still as invested as ever in my fantasy team because finally things are going right. But how did you fare this week, mate? How did you fare? Um, I got a 22.54, if I remember correctly, which is sort of... um, Look, not not ideal, but it's sort of, I guess, what can you do? I think I had 17 on field as well. So I was carrying a donut. Um, I don't even know how that happened. Something to do with the uh, Dunkley injury, which although me knowing, oh, I know why. It's because I was stupid and I moved Taranto into my midfield, even though I needed him up forward to, to cover for Dunkley. And I don't know why I did what I was doing I was trying to make my team look nice and fresh and sort of uh, equal numbers of rookies and mid-prices in sort of each one of my lines. And in return, that uh, that lockout on the Thursday night just completely ruined me. But um, this week, I've gone, getting rid of a few mid-prices. Seamus Mitchell, gone. I'm going to downgrade him to a rookie, who at this stage I do not have because there are no good rookies in this game at the moment. And Dom Sheed who I brought in a few weeks ago after he had uh, pretty good games against Hawthorne and Collingwood, scoring back-to-back 138s and 9s, almost 140s. And then he's been a spud ever since. So he is going to be upgraded to James Sicily. And I would have probably liked... I think this is the week where you can sort of get a few primos. I think there are a lot of good primos on the market at the moment. Petrarca is one who I think I was sort of, you could have got a few weeks ago, but I was sort of a bit uh, cautious of him with Clayton Olver and not really knowing exactly where he was going to fit in. But now that we know he's a, you know, a further three to four weeks away, I think you know you can safely get him in. Lockie Neal's another one, although who knows what happens when Dunkley comes back, even though it probably won't happen this week and it may not happen next week. But, uh, yeah, I went with Sicily because I need a defender to get replaced, Seamus Mitchell. Look, 
Sisley's back, and I think he's going to be uh, coming back in a big way from a fantasy perspective. I'm probably a little bit jealous because structurally, I'm not going to be able to get him in this week. So last week, I did have a score. I did score well, so I had a 23.99. I would have loved to have been able to trickle over into the 2,400, but that's okay. I ranked inside the top 7,000 for the week as well. Sort of started to find some form at the right time of year. Um, I have to give a massive shout out to the uh, four tank Gilder players that I've got on my team. Jay, um, Jack Sinclair, 110. Messiah Wanganin Malira, 130. Uh, Jack Steele, 146. And Rowan Marshall, 148. They single handedly um, on that Saturday night. Uh, when they played against Melbourne, put a massive smile on my face because I saw my ranking plummet uh, while they were just absolutely dominating. So that was a really bright spot for me. And the disappointing part was probably the fact that I had to have Sheldrick and Wynn Hager on the field. And I think the honeymoon period for Sheldrick's finally over after a couple of 80s and 90s. And I think he even punched out a, a 100 there one week as well. He went for a, a 46, which is quite disappointing. So um, this week, though, I'm looking to offer uh, Matt Johnson from Freo and Ruben Jinby, the free man of the West Coast rookie. Rather, I'm going to look at, look to bring in Cooper Harvey, son of the gun, um, there at North Melbourne as my rookie, and I'm going to get Stephen Canelia. Um, he's in too good a form at the moment. He's I've shaked off, shook off any injuries and you know criticisms and everything we had from last year, and he's played some some career best footy at the moment. So I'll be there in person on Saturday night in Adelaide to. Uh, cheer on my crows, but also keep a close eye on Stephen Cornelia to make sure he racks up plenty of fantasy points. Now, Ash, before we wrap up, um, we, we'll, we'll leave the uh, preview of round 18 to the Thursday team because they do a great job there. But you can't say Colton, uh, Port Adelaide, because that's biased. But what's one game that you are looking forward to this week and why? You've stolen my, uh, my game. I was going to say Carlton, Port Adelaide. Um, oh, can I still say it? Look, I'll, I'll, I'll say I'll say a second one in a second. But I think that uh, look, Carlton, is this the week that you really one once and for all tear that lid off, throw it away, so it's never found again, and make sure that people like Nathan are fully convinced that we are here and we are here to stay, or you just prove that the last three games have been nothing but a training run against some poor, poor sides. Uh, I think the Melbourne versus uh, Brisbane game is probably the one I'm most looking forward to. Brisbane have a habit of beating Melbourne in these big primetime games, but also have a habit of losing at the MCG. So which trend will stand? Which team will be victorious? Which team can put a bit of a buffer on them in the top four? So what about you, Nathan? Well, I guess quickly from a personal note, I'm looking forward to going home and being able to watch my beloved Crows play against the GWS on Saturday evening. But unfortunately, I can't watch it. But the game I am looking forward to this weekend is Geelong versus Essendon down at GMHBR on Saturday night. Now, we obviously saw a fair bit from Essendon on the weekend. You know, they really proved to us that they can be a top eight contender. Um, coming up against one of the biggest tests, Geelong in Geelong. So I think for me, I'm looking forward to that game most. Would one, see who Geelong bring back in and what they dish up, but also two, if Essendon can sort of move up to the height that sort of, um, I guess, created for themselves off the back of them a strong win against Adelaide on the weekend. So that's probably my pick there. Um, Ash, 
that's all we have time for tonight, mate. So thank you so much for joining me, as always, and I'm sure I'll see you again next week. Um, and to our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. Please find us on Spotify, on Apple, Mojo Sports, AF Podcast, and also on Instagram. And uh, until next time, thank you very much.